Welcome to this week's energy show. Mankind has been in an energy transition really since we discovered fire. And now our economy is pretty much powered by fossil fuels. It's been that way for the last few hundred years. And before then, it was we were pretty much powered by wood. Now, the good thing is that we're in a transition gradually from fossil fuels and maybe nuclear to renewables. And we're really at that tipping point where renewables are cheaper than fossil fuels now, especially when you talk about distributing that energy to where it's being used. And these renewables are getting cheaper and cheaper and cheaper. So it means that there's no doubt in many people's mind that we can achieve a 100% renewable society and fairly quickly. Now, there are a lot of naysayers out there, and, and I just kind of observed that a lot of these naysayers are from the incumbent energy industries. And it's understandable why the oil and gas companies would continue to lobby against renewable energy. But they're kind of on the losing end of the battle and of technology change. Now, what I find really fascinating is that Clean Edge, which is a consulting company, recently reduced a report entitled Getting to 100, a status report on rising commitments among corporations and governments to reach 100% renewables. And my special guest on today's energy show is Clint Wilder, Senior Editor at Clean Edge. So welcome to the show, Clint. Thanks so much, Barry. Great to be here. All right, good, good. Well, um, first, if you could tell us a little bit more about Clean Ed and what you do for them and the importance of that research. Sure. Clean Edge is a research advisory firm in the clean tech industry, and we've been around a while. We're actually celebrating our 15th anniversary in business this year. So our focus is indexing and benchmarking the clean energy economy, whether it's corporations, government utilities. We also have two clean tech stock indexes. So, you know, we believe that measurement and tracking is key to moving the the clean energy economy forward. And we're very excited about this report, which was commissioned by one of our clients, Solar City, because as you say, it is a dramatic phenomenon. And, you know, one that a few years ago, we would have scoffed at. I mean, even I even felt that way, you know, 100%. That seems like a pipe dream. But we're seeing more and more that it's becoming not just a target, but already a reality in some cases. I um, read through the report, not you know, in super detail. I was really impressed about the report. And and also, I have to definitely thank Solar City for sponsoring that kind of research. It really is something that we need. And it, it's just something that I hope solar companies and renewable companies do more of to get the message out. But let's talk a little bit more about the specific findings in your report. What are the things we need to do to get to 100% renewables? Well, what we say in the report is to get there, you need an all-of-the-above clean energy approach. Now, I've actually written columns attacking the phrase all-of-the-above when it comes to energy because when you're talking about everything, we actually don't need all of the above. We're pretty firm at Clean Edge that the, the developed world does not need any new nuclear or coal plants. And in, in fact, we're seeing that certainly in the case of coal with plans being canceled right and left around the United States. And there's very little new nuclear in the works as well. So, But when it comes to getting to 100%, you do need to look at every clean energy source, wind, solar, 
distributed, utility-scale, hydro. And it's also very important to focus on the demand side. And so reducing the energy consumption with efficiency measures, and we can talk more in more detail about that, uh, what we call deep efficiency, designing or retrofitting buildings to not just be low energy, but even net zero energy. We're seeing that more and more commonplace, whether it's more efficient data centers, manufacturing plants, et cetera. Energy storage will also play an increasingly important role as well. Yeah, so on the demand side, a lot of it is also just changing when we use the energy so that we can use it when we we have it. But kind of coming back to the all of the above strategy, it seems like right now simple economics have clobbered coal and they've also put a huge damper on nuclear. I, don't, I think there's one new nuclear plant coming on board, but more are coming, you know, coming out of service, and that, that one plant is just outrageously expensive. So there's, it's, the, the utilities are, are not going to be investing in nuclear plants anymore, and they probably um, are very unhappy about the investments they have in the pipeline. But what, what really seems to be happening is when you talk about all of the above, uh, Ernie Moniz at the DOE is saying, well, we have natural gas. That's a bridge. What about natural gas? How how long will we need to continue to to rely on natural gas? Yeah, I mean, it is a great question, and I just want to backtrack a moment. I mean, our report is not about necessarily having the entire world running on 100% renewables, but the the great number of corporations that are either doing it now or, or have targets to get there. And governments as well, so regions around the U.S., uh, cities, states, and as I say, regions in the U.S. and around the world having these targets. So having said that, yeah, natural gas will, will certainly be a part of the energy picture for, I would say, at least a couple more decades. But, you know, it, it is a good transitional fuel, certainly cleaner than coal, but, you know, brings its own issues with controversial fracking, et cetera. But the other thing, as you know about natural gas, is that it's still a fuel, therefore it's still prices can be volatile. You know, it's cheap now, but it fluctuates, whereas, I mean, I know I'm just stating the obvious for, for this audience, but there's no fuel charge for the sun or the wind. And that's, you know, among many other reasons why we're seeing costs of solar and wind power fall so dramatically. Yeah, and it's great that the report focuses on corporations and governments. Certainly corporations seem to have the ability to move a little bit more adroitly than governments and then, you know, then the entire society. Just looking at corporations, I mean, how long would it take for just a, a sample of the country's leading companies to move to 100% renewables? Or are we talking about something that's going to take them 20 years or could they do it in five? So this is where we kind of in the report we really analyzed. So what does 100% renewables mean? Because some very large companies are already there. But I want to take a minute to talk about RECs, Renewable Energy Certificates, which up to now has been a very big part of the getting to 100% picture. So these are basically companies paying, in essence, for offsets of the energy they use. And these the certificates go to fund renewable energy development, hopefully close to where the, the company's facilities are, but not necessarily. So when you look at companies like Whole Foods and Intel that are at 100% renewable already, 
most of that is through RECs. But when we're talking about a transition to actually generating more of your own clean power, either on-site, which is generally solar, either on warehouse roofs or corporate roofs or large solar arrays right on a corporate campus. And that's, you know, in a way, that's the best of all worlds because it's clean power and it's, it's right there where it's being used. Or we see Apple and, and other companies doing power purchase agreements to buy all the power from a wind or solar farm that's not uh, co-located locally. But, you know, they're basically financing and funding that renewable energy resource. Right. So that's, so it's... that's more direct than a, than a reg. Yes, the RECs are kind of a, an expedient but effective abstraction to get the companies uh, to 100% renewables. But the other way to do it is something like solar panels on the roof. And, and you know, just even small companies like Cinnamon Solar already at 100% renewables because, you know, we've got a fairly small office and warehouse and we've got flat roofs and we've got enough solar panels on the roof to pretty much net out our bill. So it is very easy. And, you know, it's one of the things that, that surprisingly has gotten way easier, at least here in, in California and, and San Jose, for two reasons. One, the utilities, PG&E, now have time of use rates. So it really makes a lot of sense for us to put an array on the roof that's facing west and cut back on our afternoon energy charges, which are higher. And the second thing which has happened, you know, once again, we're talking about tangible systems on the roof of companies in San Jose, is that there's really good financing out there with PACE, like Properties Has Clean Energy or loans or, or, you know, even some leases and PPAs. So that's made it very practical. And it's surprising to me that more companies don't know that they can get there expediently and with a less than a five-year payback. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And just to get back to the question, how long will it take for Corporation. So th- this is all in the report. So some target dates that ha- have been announced, Goldman Sachs by 2020, Ikea by 2020, Nike by 2025, Mars, food candy company, by 2040. So the, the targets vary, but essentially, you know, you, you see the, the 2020 to 2030 range being a common target goal for both corporations and governments. Yeah, you know, Goldman Sachs, they don't have a lot of roof space on their office towers in New York City, but I really would like to see Mars move much, much faster towards a solar because then I won't feel as guilty about eating all the leftover Halloween candy that's got their name on it in, in my there kitchen. You go. <laughs> <laughs> so what kind of technologies are, do you think is really going to accelerate this transition? What do you talk about in the report? Well, when you look at which renewable has, you know, really taken off with dramatic price drops, it's solar. And this both distributed and utility scale. And that's, you know, we see in just a few years ago, if you were talking about, you know, a utility scale renewable operation that could, you know, where a corporation or utility would have the power purchase agreement for that output was almost always a wind farm. But now we see these, you know, really massive solar farms going in the the Mojave Desert and and other places. So that's really exploded. So that's grown a lot. Hydro continues to be an important part of this picture, geothermal in some cases. And, of course, the price of wind generally keeps dropping, too. I mean, there have been articles recently where in Texas, which is 
produces the most wind of any state by far. It's so cheap that they actually, at night, it's free electricity. Yeah, that's pretty cool. So, you know, these technologies, solar and wind, have gotten so cheap that they're the cheapest generation source. But what about some of the other technologies that may touch more on the demand side? What what are we? Sure. What do you see happening there? Yeah, well, there's LED lights is, is always, you know, a very big area because, you know, it just dramatically reduces the energy going into lighting. And there's so much focus now on building energy efficiency and just when you capture the information about how much energy is being used uh, with sensors and smart devices and Internet of Things and all these things that are, you know, so one of the real hot areas in, in Silicon Valley and elsewhere, you know, when you have the information and you have these sophisticated controls, you know, you can monitor building temperatures down to very small areas of the building. I know there there's some companies that do that. And, you know, why why should you have full air conditioning on in an area of a building where no one is there for much of the day? That kind of thing. And it's just all these technologies where corporations that run large facilities can really know how they're using energy and how they can reduce that consumption. And of course, you know, with the the tech sector, which has really been a big leader in this whole getting to 100% movement with companies like Apple and Google and Intel and Facebook, you know, making every list of leadership because data centers are as you know huge energy hogs, so there's been a tremendous amount of effort focused on making them more efficient or powering them with direct renewable energy, such as Google's data center up in Oregon, which is 100% hydro-powered along the Columbia River. Facebook has just opened a data center in in Iowa that's 100% powered by a wind farm there, and they're building one near Dallas, which, same thing, utilize 100% local wind power. Now, I've been kind of observing and active in the building energy usage industry going back to the 70s, and it takes a long time And because you've got established infrastructure and it's kind of hard to change HVAC and controls. I mean, eventually it happens. What about things like storage, which, which are out there, and this is just an add-on thing that can suddenly save uh, governments and companies a lot of money? How does that fit in? Yeah, it's absolutely a, an important part of the picture, and increasingly so. And we see the the prices for storage starting to look like the solar cost curves, and that's been the key. As we know, battery technology is nothing new, but it's always been, at a large scale, too expensive for widespread use, and that's changing. And what's really pushing the, the, the storage industry along right now is the ability to peak shave and use stored energy at peak times when utilities hit large corporate customers with what's known as demand charges, which can be extremely high. I mean, it's kind of the whole game in utilities has been to try and not have these huge peaks, which is, you know, that there are many, many entire natural gas plants called peakers that are built just to serve those high demand times. And 
you know, if we can have less of those, that just lowers costs across the board. So on the customer side, you know, if you can level out your your energy and balance your energy supply and demand as best you can throughout the day when it's, you know, without doing anything, it's, it's anything but balanced. It's yeah. very uneven. Yeah, those peak demand charges are killers, and we have those in PG&E territories. I think it's like $15 a kilowatt. So if your normal demand right. is 100 100 kilowatts, then you got a $1,500 a month bill. But in the summer when the HVAC goes on during the day and you turn on another machine and maybe people plug in their EVs, suddenly your, your demand charge for that month could be 500 kilowatts. And then boom, you got another you know, $6,000 electric bill that was just because of that demand. But what's interesting that that issue and opportunity for storage to reduce peak demand ties into the grid. So what kind of technologies within the grid or, or policies at the grid could really help get us to 100% renewables? Yeah, well, actually, we're working on that topic now at Clean Edge. We partnered with a group called Gridwise Alliance in Washington, D.C., to on their annual benchmarking study called the Grid Modernization Index. So we're tracking what's going on in, in every state on all these various topics. And yeah, the integration of increasing amounts of distributed generation, mainly solar, and distributed storage. This is a, a whole new world for utilities who, you know, traditionally have done everything on a centralized basis. So you know, we have all kinds of new regulation and new policies in, in California and other states. The state of New York has an initiative called REV, REV, Reforming the Energy Vision, which is basically saying, let's, let's look at the entire way the utility serves the customer from the demand side instead of the supply side and see, you know, how much focus we can do on customer demand side efficiency first before we start investing in new generation. So it's a complete opposite from the way it's traditionally been. So it's a very, you know, utilities have never been the place where you'd say, wow, utilities, they're really exciting. (laughs) But actually, I think that is becoming the case now just because it's really kind of a toss around the word revolution. But it is, you know, it's, it's a very dramatic change that we have a Ron Pernick of Clean Edge and I have written two books together. The first one is called The Clean Tech Revolution in 2007. And, you know, we're seeing that play out in a number of places. And, you know, solar has certainly changed the game. But just, you know, simply basic utility model that's been around for 100 plus years, you know, very familiar to Thomas Edison, is, is really undergoing dramatic change right now. Yeah, and that's where I see you know, some real breakthroughs possible in technology and policy. You know, we're not talking about better solar cells or, or cheaper wind power or, or cheaper lithium-ion batteries, but, you know, just the the software, the communications and the control between the people who are demanding power, the, the end users, the businesses and the consumers, and the sources of generation, which are, you know, from utilities to wind farms to, you know, even local storage, that's where there's a big opportunity. And, and I kind of look at the well-intentioned plotting public utility commissions trying to change the tariffs and the rules 
but much more slowly than the technology improves. I mean, you know, right now we're looking at battery storage is cheap and it happens to be mobile. It's in our cars and there's a way we can have two-way battery, you know, two-way energy going back and forth between cars. That would be great. But what are we doing now to get towards this goal? How can we accelerate this process? Well, you know, as I said, we focus on, in this report, on corporations and governments. So that audience is the we. It's just continue to, to look at all these options of, for example, the corporate power purchase agreements. is That's a relatively new tactic, if you will. But something like 40% of all utility-scale renewable power purchase agreements last year were from corporations rather than utilities, which is quite dramatic. And, you know, for the average citizen, if you will, depending on where you live, look at where your local utility is at, whether it's PG&E or I know in, in the Valley, you've got several municipal utilities, Palo Alto and Sunnyvale, for example. I think Palo Alto has 100% renewables already. I'm not completely certain of that, but I know they've been very progressive on this. Yeah, Palo Alto's been terrific as far as the utility. A little bit problematic sometimes in deploying renewables, but, you know, it's they're just good examples out there as far as what utilities can do. Santa Clara's been good. Alameda's been good. The munis have, have generally been pretty good because they're not purely driven by a, the profit motive. But you mentioned that this report is out there. How can people read the report? How can how can corporations and governments get in touch with Clean Edge? And what are you guys doing to communicate this goal of 100% renewables? Sure. Well, it, the report is available as a free download from our website, cleanedge, all one word, dot com. And we'll also be hosting two different webinars based on the report. The first on corporates moving to 100% renewables, that's on December 2nd. And then in the new year, January 12th, we'll do one on governments heading this way. And and speaking of governments, it should should mention that 2015 has seen the first time a state government in the U.S., and it's the state of Hawaii, established a 100% renewables goal by 2045. Now, here in California, we just passed 50%. Renewables by 2030 were much, much bigger than Hawaii, and it's also a 15 years sooner. So, you know, one could argue that's even more of a BHAG, big, hairy, audacious goal. But, you know, I've been to some events recently with, where representatives of the big investor-owned utilities in California have said, we're confident we can get there. Well, I'm looking forward to being a 92-year-old geezer when we're at uh, 50% in California. So that that's a good goal. And and also with Hawaii, I mean, they just kind of have to get there because they got to import everything. All right. Well, that's great. And then will these webinars be recorded? Can people yes. listen to them afterwards? Okay. So everything's on the yeah. www.cleanedge.com website. That's correct. But, you know, if, if you want to uh, be on the webinar live, those are free as well and interactive chat sessions so you can submit questions during a webinar, which is always useful. Yeah, yeah. So 
Hope you'll join us. All right, good. Well, that's all the time we have on this week's Energy Show. Thanks, Clint, for joining us today, and thanks to all of our listeners. If you missed any of today's show, you can always go to our website at cinnamonsolar.com and listen to the podcast. (music) 